Hello, NARC Troopers, and welcome to another episode of my podcast about recovery from narcissistic abuse and really any abuse from cluster B disordered individuals. Um, the following interview comes with a disclaimer, a trigger warning, um, and an explicit language um, cautionary stamp. Um, my guest is um, an esteemed writer on Quora and has his own brand of wisdom about all of this. He himself uh, is a professed narcissist as several very prominent speakers and writers on this subject are like Sam Vaknin um, and H.G. Tudor and um, you know various and sundry other people. Um, but you know I just want to caution everyone that sometimes uh, instead of the gentle supportive uh, patient approach in therapy, um, sometimes there's tough love, sometimes there's potent medicine that's good for you but it's harsh, it's harsh medicine. And some of the ideas presented here and the method, the way that it is delivered to you uh, might be a little much for some people. So I wanted to put that caveat caveat out there to just um, let you know that some of you are probably not ready for this. In your recovery, in your healing, you would find too much of this to be too much for you. So I just want to put that out there for me. Personally, I enjoy a good cold hard slap, kind of like, uh, you know, Cher style where she slaps that guy and Moonstruck and she says, snap out of it. Yeah, sometimes that wake up call, that cold hard slap to the face is just what you need. And I tell my, I have told my therapist and the people that are on my team, sometimes just the um, unadulterated unvarnished, politically incorrect wake-up call, um, this, this harsh medicine that tastes really bad is kind of what you need because you kind of get lost in your head and go down that road and sometimes you need a jolt, something to shock you or grab you and yank you back into the reality of the situation so that you can make some real progress. So. I want to say that before we get started, that some of you may be ready for that good hard jolt uh, that yanks you back in, because I think it's with good intentions that the message here is shared with you to say that you are responsible for your healing, for your recovery, for your well-being, and to um, and to make the necessary changes so that what has happened never happens again. Uh, that we, we take responsibility for our part in what happened and uh, own that uh, as accountable adults, something that narcissists really can't do. They don't have enough self-awareness to be able to, um, you know, be responsible for any of their transgressions, but we are, we can be, and, you know, we participated in this uh, fantasy bubble, this dysfunctional, toxic thing, and we, um, at the end of the day, it's important that we identify all the reasons why and that we come up with some strong strategies to prevent us from ever becoming 
victimized, not a victim, because that's exactly what this particular podcast is about, is about not accepting victimhood and, and resting on those laurels, but rather standing up and fighting and moving forward and rejecting all of that and owning our own uh, trauma, owning our own um, dysfunction and, and fixing it so that we can be healthy and happy and focusing on the right things, which is not the narcissist. This is about shifting away from the narcissist and not thinking about them, not speaking about them, um, forget about them and focus on the work that needs to be done with you. So with that um, disclaimer, we will begin. Here we go. Hello and welcome to NARC, Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Collaborators, home to NARC Troopers. If you like today's episode, I have a lot more resources and goodies on my website at NARC Troopers, which will help you with your recovery journey from abuse from a cluster B disordered individual. Today, I am beside myself with glee to have a wonderful person as my guest who's going to talk to us about wonderful, fresh and new innovative ideas and perspectives. And this person did a previous um, uh, interview with me a couple of weeks ago and it was so great. This is part two and in the installment that we may have for you. So welcome Robert Torbay, drum roll. Here I am. How are you? Yes. How are you? I am well. I am well. Um, I am in California. You are in New Zealand. And it seems to me like that's, that you, that's one of the places that has the most distance of anywhere that you could possibly be on the globe. Yet, um, you know, I, I think that uh, it's a global thing. The whole world is talking about this. I have people contacting me from Turkey, from Germany, from the UK, from all over the place, even from Canada, as if that's a thing, right? And uh, they all know, they all know about it. They, they don't know enough about it, but they know enough to know what they don't know, and they want to know more. And so that's why uh, we have to bring bring it to them. So let's do it. Let's do it. I, I think what I would like to start with is that there's just so much material out there. You're just drowning in it. We're inundated with all this stuff about narcissists trying to do an autopsy on them, on their cadavers, and trying to dissect them and figure out what makes them tick. You know, is it this kind of narcissist or that kind of narcissist? Is, you know, is he going to hoover me or is he not going to hoover me? Is he going to ever love me? And, you know, it just goes on and on and on. So I would like to shift and pivot away yeah. from the talking about the narcissist. And let's talk about those who were, oh, shall we say, unfortunate enough to get tangled up in a relationship with these folks and to get bamboozled by them as we were like what about us what what about us so um i think we need to learn how to do what we can do to serve ourselves at this point instead of just being you know like 
slave to them. So I would like to start by asking you, what, what kind of strategies do you think can, can turn those tides and help people stop thinking about that person and stop, start working on themselves? Is there something we can, can do to, to, to be able to manage that? I think it's I think it's to do with quelling the insatiable lust for affection. That's why people are attracted to narcissists. It's people who have an insatiable lust for affection. Um, people who want to see themselves as cute little babies, you know, and they want to be given this kind of soppy romantic love. Um, so that's you know, if you if you didn't want that, you wouldn't care about a narcissist. You wouldn't. You'd find what they do repulsive, but people enjoy that kind of, um, you know, that sentimental, soppy, melodramatic love that the narcissist, uh, I see it this way, right? I see, you know, you're a kid and you're not that happy with your home life. Maybe, you know, Jenny and Johnny down the road have got a, a nice family where a lot of attachment is going on. And so you're watching the television one day and you're seeing this, there's a couple on the television and they're just emoting, you know, they're emoting, oh, they're in love, oh, baby, darling, and the music rises and you think, I'll have some of that. But really, those people are fake and phony. They're called actors. It's not real. There's a soundtrack. There's a, some kind of plot that's built up to that. So what you really are after is something fake and phony. So you go out there and you find someone fake and phony who's going to give you that dramatic presentation of love that you've craved for since you were a kid, something you saw on the movies. Yes, I think it's kind of like a um, fairy tale, maybe a Disney fairy tale. I know that with my yeah. daughter, we watched all the Disney movies, and you know how that goes? They're swept away into this fairy tale romance where there's glitter and sparkles and they they float in the air it's like that scene from la la land i don't know if you ever saw that musical movie <laughs> but they danced in the sky you know it was uh it was just it was a confabulation it was fantastical it, yeah. well it was definitely corny and a relationship with these guys is pretty cheesy if you think about it it's not real it's not genuine it's like a facade it's like it's like the mm. fake building fronts at universal studio you drive through it looks real you open the door mm. it's an empty vacant lot um That's but right. you know while you're in it while you're in that fantasy with them it's fantastical uh it's larger than life it's technicolor it's uh uh this you know sex extravaganza and it's just so intense it's so intense you know after you've been in this thing with them it's like a drug and it kind of like screws you up for all other people everybody else is so vanilla and monochromatic and and boring because once you've you know had had some of that you know you want more it's it's addictive and there's something there's something in the people who are drawn to that um, and have that addictive response to them that is not, um, what is the word, neurotypical, not your average bear. They, I think that these people possess 
something that makes them really crave that. Yeah. A lust, a lust for high drama. It's got to be epic. You know, it's got to be, there's got to be, um, yeah, there's got to be rousing orchestral music kind of playing in the background. It's got to be, you know, the love of the love of the ages. So, so here's the thing: if we are waiting for this knight in shining armor to uh, whisk us away and save the day and create this wonderful thing, then um, how how do we, um, you know, nobody's really coming, are they? No, no real prince is coming, and I, I think that the thing that we have to well, wrap I mean, our mind I mean, around. He might be, he, he, he might be coming, but he's going to want more than just a princess who stands there and waits for the prince. You know what I mean? Like most of those stories, the princess just waits. You know, she waits and she hopes that something's going to happen, and the prince is the one who does all the stuff. You know, what does Rapunzel do? She lets down her hair. I mean, big whoop. You know, that's not hard. It's kind of a rescue. Uh, It's a rescue. They're waiting to be, to be saved. And, and so I think what, I think what you're saying is that, that, that people should, uh, not wait, that they should live their lives and have a life and create a life. And then if a good person, a healthy person, uh, a prince comes along, it's not as if you're helpless and waiting to be saved. You're already living your life, and it's like, hey, prince, uh, what's up? <laughs> and it's not like yeah. you're so desperately waiting for this person to complete you. And these princesses are useless. You know, Cinderella's kind of good. She's putting in the work. As soon as she gets rescued... We can assume that all the maids do the work, so it's kind of a transition from being a useful person into becoming, you know, a burden, a beautiful burden. Let's just say. Yes, a beautiful. I mean, this burden. is the female. This is the female angle. Um, we can flip it later if you want. And I'll, I'll, I'll well, try absolutely. And go on on the main. You know, the, because um, I think it was yes. I'm going to quote the master. <laughs> I think it was Sam Vaknin who said that 10 years ago it was that narcissism was predominantly uh, a male uh, disorder, most like by far the majority, but something happened in the last 10 years and now it's almost 50, 50. There's just as many uh, women. It's the whole girl power movement. You know what I mean? This whole kind of feminist movement has now spoiled women. That's what's happened. I think that's true. So men used Mm -hmm. to be spoiled, I think. I think men were once spoiled coming off the boomer, you know, off the war. I guess, you know, the boys got spoiled and became narcissistic. And now women are being spoiled. So that's one possibility. Well, Because a narcissist is somebody who's spoiled, right? They don't need to do anything. Everything comes to them. Everything good comes to them. Everything bad is taken away from them. Well, taking that even a step further, women have adopted the qualities of men. They have, uh, you know, they're sex positive. Do you know about the sex positive thing? Whores. Yeah, I know what a whore is. I didn't say it. You said it. I didn't say it. There would be people who would 
you know, would would be mad at both of us for for calling them whores. Well, let, them, let them be mad. Let them be mad. <laughs> let, them, let them do it. Let them get in their feelings. It's good. Well, but so men were sort of men used to be the players and the whores, right? Yeah. You know, in the sixties or the seventies, I guess the guy was the, you know, he was the dominant one, um, and now it's flipped, and men are sort of more the let me hold your purse while you go shopping. You know, they've turned into the, you know, so let's say if you have a narcissist borderline dynamic, so it used to be women were borderline to men, and now men are borderline to women. Yes, I mean, I think jump on true. Tinder. Jump on Tinder and good luck to you as a man. Good luck. You're not <laughs> I, spoiled. What, what happens there? What, what happens on Tinder? Oh, it's it's a hard slog. It's a real hard slog. You've got to take what you can get as a man. As a woman, uh, you can, you're just inundated by horny men. So something, something has happened, I guess. Um, maybe it's just because people don't go to those pubs anymore. They don't go to the fondues or the I don't know what you guys got up to in the 60s I was too young the 60s and 70s <laughs> right it sounded like a lot of fun but I wasn't there well I've never had a fondue party but that does sound like a lot of fun and Isn't um, that where you leave the keys in the bowl you put all the keys in the bowl and you have the fondue and then you <laughs> is that right I, I thought you put chocolate know, and cheese in the bowl uh, uh, I think right, okay, okay. Right, yeah that right. could be something else but um, back to what we're saying, I think women have co-opted the worst characteristics of men, and you know that's the, that, that term man whore. There, there, there were a lot of man whores, and it was accepted by society. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, you go yeah. get them, you go get them, and and knock up yeah. all those notches on your bedpost. And now yeah. the message to women is to go do that. You know, nobody says, you know, yeah. oh this is yeah. shameful that you're just being. Uh, you know, this way with your sex positivity, uh, they encourage people to do it as yeah. if it's yes, like a right. good, healthy thing to do. You know, yeah, show those guys that um, who's got control and who's got the power. I think that the whole women's lib uh, liberation movement and all of that kind of backfired in the sense that that it, it has made the women. Yes, it's opened up some doors in the in the career fields and jobs and stuff like that. But they're still expected to come home after work and clean and cook and take care of the kids and and stuff like that. Well, I think that they um, now I think a lot of women don't even want to get married um, or have babies. They just aren't interested in that. They they're more about you know being their best selves and instant gratification and and going out there and 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 acting like However, a man. Mm -hmm. What yeah. I what I've noticed is there's been this there's been this rash of um, pearl clutches. There's this guy named Andrew Tate, and he has a very you know it's one of those sort of macho red pill you know um, game type things. Um, you know, so it's kind of like me. Don't have sex with women anymore. Just build up your resources, you know. Don't be so needy anymore. And so there's been a rash of young men and pearl clutches. So, you know, young guys, I don't know, 10, 11, 12, are listening to this stuff and repeating it. So there's a swing back now. So men are kind of going to do their own thing. Like, I think it's going to flip again. That's just my personal feeling. It's just my personal feeling that that's kind of, you know, it's gone so far one way, and now it's going to move back again. 
just um, well, there's so yeah, many something factors, really you know, um, when you think about everything that's happening in the world and you think about the metaverse and technology and and then couple that with with you know climate change and water and food shortages and war and and pandemics and on and on it's a lot and the collapse of the social welfare system yes yes it's coming down now so you know now you want to have kids maybe you've got to have a man you know if you want to take that time off there's no social welfare system for you there if you wanted it but, um, you know in the west right I mean, countries true. like China and Russia, I guess they sort of run on that sort of old, you know, old school male-female no, dynamic. No, here it's not that uncommon to have a baby on Friday and be back at work on Monday. And and there's no leave or any acknowledgement that you even had a kid. You know, it's like, okay, get back get back to work. You know, you're a worker bee. You've yeah. got to work, work, work. That's your job. Say with COVID, say with COVID, most of the jobs shared were women's jobs. Things in hospitality, tourism. Um, yeah, a lot of, well, in New Zealand anyways, a lot of the jobs that were shared were women's jobs. They were the first to go. Men tend to work in the more essential fields, dare I say it. Mm -hmm. Men are making food. They're making the food. Well, it's usually men. I mean, not always, but generally men are more sort of food production, uh, more essential jobs, dare I say it, and I dare. Yes. So... Taking this into account that uh, women are asserting themselves and demanding their freedom and their whatever, you know, why is it that when you come out of these relationships with a narcissist that you are unable to reclaim any kind of power or agency and you just, uh, so many people identify as victims and they because stay there. They stay they in their want, victimhood. They still want that. They still after that romance. They're kind of like a gambler who's lost all their money. So now they're going to go home and mortgage the house and they're going to go back to the casino. I think people have successively worse and worse experiences with narcissists until they finally say, fuck my feelings. Fuck my feelings. I don't need those gushy feelings anymore i need to get on with my life i need to survive and i need to survive in a way that's pleasing to me that makes me feel good and is in line with my values so it's a more mature viewpoint rather than saying oh that narcissist didn't work but i still deserve to be babied to have all that affection you know what i mean like i i, I need affection but really <laughs> affection is baby food it's for but how Babies. how does one Goo -goo -ga -ga. get how, how does one get control of their emotions if it's just like a runaway train? Their their emotional thinking hijacks you, their you mind. You don't need you don't need to get control of your emotions. You just got to get up. A lot of people sit there. They're on their phone. I call it the chair of death. So they're sitting in their chair. They got their phone and they're wondering, will I text quote unquote my narcissist or will quote unquote my narcissist text me? So they're just sitting there waiting for some sort of social media interaction, or then they text the narcissist and they go, yeah, I did it. And then they go, oh, no, now I've got to wait and see if they reply. Oh, no, I fucked up again. Oh, no. So they're going to play phone games all day. They're going to play the social media, I don't know, what is it, a roulette wheel? Um, instead of going, you know what, I'd better get on with my life. 
I'd better become a worthwhile, uh, valuable person. I had better develop skills as a man or a woman that are useful. So what I'm seeing is a slow decay of society. So the skills that used to be useful, so typing on a computer and having good, um, I don't know, having good um, water cooler conversations, you know, um, and being able to being able to socialize well, those skills are now becoming less valuable because we're moving back towards survival in yes. the West. As things, you know, as things go tits up, we're moving back towards survival. So yes. instead of indulging in fantasy, you know, propped up by whatever it's propped up, you know, this idea that we can live these lovely, gentle, soft lives with lots of attachment and just sweet feelings and, you know, we're going to go through the meadow with darling and we're going to, we're going to hold hands with darling and we're going to canoodle with Dar all these soft, gentle activities are now going out the window. That's what I think. So you can make the decision to be tough and strong and fight, or you can just surrender and keep this victim mentality. And you're saying that with the challenges that are coming in the coming months and years, probably, that there's going to be a necessity to cut out all of the fluffy um, indulgences uh, into yes, the whole for me. Emotional you know. indulgence, which is mm -hmm. we live in a society of emotional indulgence. Right. And so when we're more concerned about how to have enough water or food or how to be able mm. to afford something at the grocery or you know, whatever, you know, those kinds of things that we're going to be forced into um, th this, this adaptability and resilience that the victims of narcissistic abuse as a rule have trouble uh, reclaiming that as if they ever had it. Maybe they never had that kind of um, independence and power and Adaptability. Well, I, I'm not sure that I would agree with you there. I think that the victims of narcissistic abuse tended to come from families where it wasn't as, you know, comparatively, they felt there wasn't as much love. That's what they felt. They mm -hmm. felt, you know, something's up, you know. And, okay, to get a little bit contentious, they come from a family of cluster B psychopaths, you know, various forms of disempathic psychopaths. Yes. Uh, whether they're psychopaths who are obsessed with being high status 24-7 or whether they are psychopaths obsessed with being low status and being babied 24-7 or whether they're just flat-out psychopaths. But <clears throat> if you look at the cluster B brain, there is a disconnect between fear and, I guess, maybe anxiety. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, you've got your borderline and they're, they're doing something pretty crazy. But to them, it's not crazy. It's what they should do. You know, I must, I must hunt this narcissist down and, and, and they're going to feel my pain. And that's really reasonable. You know, no matter what lengths I go to, it's reasonable. But it's not. There's a disconnect in the brain. I, I believe cluster B are all kind of psychopathic. And the thing about psychopaths is, um, watching an interesting study, um, it was uh, a Dutch study uh, in prison. They were studying psychopaths. And so they showed these psychopathic and non-psychopathic offenders a bunch of images. Some were nice and some were not nice. Now, when the non-psychopathic offenders were shown the not nice images, they pull away. 
when the psychopaths are shown, you know, angry face, mutilated body, they go in. They hit a joystick and they could pull away or go in. And so the borderline gets into a relationship with a narcissist. And the narcissist is being aggressive, passive-aggressive. Now, most people are going to pull away and say there's something wrong with that, but not the borderline. In they go. Into the aggression they go. And you'll find borderlines can really go into aggressive situations. They find themselves in trouble all the time. So I argue that if you're interested in a narcissist, chances are if you put up with that shit – or if you find all your friends are narcissistic, you're a borderline. You're a type of psychopath. I mean, Dr. Vagnon has talked about this before, and I, I definitely agree with him that borderlines are a type of psychopath. Yes, he says that, in essence, all of the cluster B have such overlapping, similar um, ideology and the way that it manifests and what is at the root of it with all the trauma and some of it being perhaps even hereditary uh, generational kind of um, proclivity, predisposition, something like that, and and that there it's all pretty much the same thing, with a few variations here and there. Um, they all they all have a fearlessness in a particular direction. You know, the borderline fearlessly pursues affection. The narcissist fearlessly fearlessly pursues full time high status. The psychopath fearlessly pursues whatever it is they want, money, power. It's usually power from what I've read. Mm-hmm. Real power, not, not, just, not just they don't want you to kiss their ass. They want you to uh, mow the lawn and then get the clothes in. You know, they want you to do a whole bunch of stuff. You know, your flattery will not work. They don't, yeah, okay, you said some words. Now go and do some stuff for me. So they're all, each one of them is kind of one-pointed in a particular direction, I would argue. So do you think if you stay in a relationship with a psychopath or a narcissist or somebody with ASPD, antisocial personality disorder, do you think uh, that it makes you more uh, narcissistic, more psychopathic? Does it? My personal, my personal belief is narcissist becomes a bit more sociopathic and the borderline becomes more psychopathic. That's what I think. I mean, the borderline just, in the end, they just, I'm going to get you. I think that's what happens. Borderlines, you know, there's a lot of borderlines in jail. And, you know, um, domestic domestic abuse, borderline men, it's, it's kind of high up there. Yes. So I think that's what happens. The longer you stay with the narcissist, the more psych. if you're a borderline, the more psychopathic you're going to become. Which, if you can accept that as a gift and you can leave... You've, you've got something wonderful. You've been cut open, and now you have a lot of power. You have a lot of will, because I believe that will and rage are very similar. I was talking with a lovely lady named Rachel last night. She was talking about a baby and the will of the baby to get what it wants, and it's rage. I want that thing. I just want give me that thing. It's rage. So... I feel that because my personal belief is that narcissists are a gift. Should you choose to accept it, they're a gift to you, a very precious gift, the most precious gift you will receive in your entire life. I've heard that too, and I know why. It's not just because it's so intense and fabulous with them. I mean, the highs are the highest thing you can imagine, right? And then the lows are just the worst of the worst. But beyond that... That's not what you're talking about, is it? It's an opportunity 
for growth. It's yes. an opportunity to what have like a, 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 a self-awareness that, that you didn't have before. They're a catalyst. Well, They're an impetus well, for change. Why? Why are they a catalyst? Because they are liars. They are liars. So they lie to you. So, for example, in the love bomb, they lie to you. They tell you you're a cute little baby who deserves endless affection. You're not and you don't. You're an adult and you <laughs> yeah. should be leading your people. You know, you should be a matriarch or a patriarch, not a little baby. So they lied to you. And so hopefully they burnt you so bad that you think, you know what, fuck my feelings. I'm not a baby. What the hell was I doing eating baby food? So hopefully the narcissist burned that out of you. That's the first gift they give you. They burn out your desire to be a lovable baby because you're not. And you know the reason why that the that these that people like that myself included want it that was so irresistible is because the way that they mirror you and sort of um show you yourself it's really like the first time that you see yourself and love yourself because your parents were impaired in some way unavailable uh they were screwed up something was wrong with them there was something really awful I, happening you know, I, I don't buy that i'm sorry you i don't, don't buy that i think parents no i don't i don't buy that you look back through history who got us through the stone age it wasn't a bunch of sweet natured attached people it was narcissist it had picnics and read their children bedtime stories and went skiing and had nice barbecues. Yes, and cookies no. and milk and the whole Claire Huxtable thing. I always wanted Claire Huxtable to be my mom. I thought that was just, she was a great listener. And she was so, yeah. like, the perfect mother. Yes, in a soft and saccharine society. Yes, yes. Great to be mm -hmm. uh -huh. It's lovely to have mommy and daddy, just the sweet angels. But if you've got to go through the Stone Age, you need a stony-faced psychopath for your father. That's what you need. <laughs> yeah. If you are a peasant and the French are about to burst over the hill and murder you all, you better do what you're told or you're going to get the hiding of your young life. There's going to be no mercy. So we are just very soft people, but those of us fortunate enough to have cluster B parents should be thanking our lucky stars, and we shouldn't be whinging moaning and complaining hopefully your mother broke you of the need to indulge in your emotions hopefully she toyed with you hopefully she messed with you hopefully she played with your emotions and broke you of the need to have them to feel a certain way I, I like think, all the other neurotypical kids yeah i i think that that's I, I think what we need to focus on is that our lived experience is a culmination of all of our experiences with parents who were maybe impaired or unavailable with the narcissist and whatever their uh, wake-up call was for us. We have to take all that, take a look at it, and ask ourselves, you know, what we can do to uh, stop playing the roles that we played with them and to come up with new ones and all of that. I'm so sorry we're out of time today, but... We're coming back soon with a third installment. We're going to be talking about the hero's journey. I am really excited about that one, and I hope you're going to join us. Got to go. Much love to everybody. Thank you, and thank you, Robert. Love you. Bye-bye.